This is a special world report with a friend of Mejigoria. We have the right and we have the left opposing each other. We see it across the world. It's a war. Who's right? Who's already with? The left or the right? You think, well, you can't say that. You can't put a letter in either one. Is it a scandal? If I say to you that our lady is on the right, how do I know that? You can be saying, you can't politicize our lady. I'm not. It's not political. It's biblical. How is this biblical, friend of Medjugorje? I'm 100% that I know that. Her messages is defining those who go to the right and that goes to the left. There is a separation all through the day around the whole world and Our Lady is with the right. How can that be the case? By now, you're thinking, I'm being political. And there's no room for this. You're wrong if you think of that. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him. The king stood up to greet her, bowed to her, and sat down on his throne. Then the king had a throne brought for his mother, who sat down at his right hand. Let's go to another book of the Bible. Let's go to the book of Psalms. Chapter 45, verse 9. The daughters of kings are among your honored women. The queen stands at your right hand, adorned with gold. You still not convinced? Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, 2. A wise man's heart inclines to the right, but the heart of a fool to the left. Is that something? Is that amazing? Is your antennas going up? 
you think maybe a lady's on the right and the fool's on the left? But that's just one thing. You want more evidence? Matthew chapter 25, 32, 34. The sheep and the goats, all the nations will be gathered before him, referring to Christ, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Who's the goats? Think about that. On the right, on the left. Separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Our Lady is here for the whole world to separate the flock of the sheep and the herd of the goats. The devil has always been understood a goat. If you're still not sure, we can't say this. Our Lady's on the right, and all these people now on the left. Our Lady is here right now for every nation to divide and separate. We cannot be with those people and those people with us. They have to see by our witness and come on our side. But we're not to mingle and give in to them. So the book, again, about Matthew 25, this time the verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes to his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Drop down, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who were blessed, my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. Drop down 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Our Lady's messages is a call to align yourself with her messages. Satan's messages is a call to align yourselves with his messages. Maria is with a lot of people in her house. It's late, and Our Lady tells her on August 2nd, 1981, to go to the Gumo. Why in the middle of the night would Our Lady say, to go to the Gumno. Why? Because the Gumo is a place 
where Maria and her family would thresh the wheat, separating the chaff from the wheat. You don't want to eat chaff, and you want to eat wheat. And her lady told her to make two lines, one on the right, one on the left. And her lady says, A great struggle is about to unfold, a struggle between my son and Satan. Souls are at stake. Then our lady says, you can touch me. One line touched her and the other one. And Maria became upset because our lady was beautiful. When they touched our lady, her mantle turned black. And our lady says, go to confession. This is a huge thing. This is not just a hint. This is intel where we are. The woman, Revelation 12, she's here now to call you through her messages and for Satan's struggle to hear his messages. Live, life, drink, fun, materialism, television, cell phones. The other one is prayer, holiness, peace, fasting. So we have a very big battle right now, a great struggle between the left and the white and the right and from the left. Who's going to win? You just have to be on the right. On the left, they're going to lose. What do they lose? They lose their soul. And on the right, following her messages, they have salvation. The left is a negative thing. On the right is a positive thing. Our Lady gives us positive messages, and also she gives messages of the negative of what Satan's doing. You're going to hear messages calling you to the right. Give this your attention deeply. Lady is here to lead us on the way of salvation. The following are her words to us. Dear children, I am preparing you for the new times so that the Holy Spirit may work through you and renew the face of the earth. Be my extended hands and proudly go with God. Above everything, little children, Seek God and the things of God and leave earthly ones to the earth. You are called to holiness and created for heaven. Therefore, seek heaven and the things of heaven. Return to prayer and fasting. You will see conversion in your hearts and families. Prayer will be heard. God will hear your cries and give you peace. 
Do not forget that prayer is the secret key of meeting with God. Do not give up on prayer. Pray and fight against materialism, modernism, and egoism, which the world offers to you. May hope in a better tomorrow always be in your heart. Dear children, prayer works miracles in you and through you. Therefore, in the simplicity of heart, seek the strength to be God's children. Begin to build the kingdom of heaven in your hearts. Forget what is personal and think of what is of God. I ask you to conquer Satan. The arms to conquer him are fasting and prayers. Pray for peace because Satan wants to destroy the little peace you have. And do not be afraid because the one who prays is not afraid of evil and has no hatred in the heart. May your weapon be prayer. With prayer, with the heart, you will overcome Satan. I call you to build up a new world of peace together with me by means of prayer. Open yourselves to God's plans and purposes for you to be able to cooperate with Him for peace and for good. Do not forget that your life does not belong to you, but is a gift with which you must bring joy to others and lead them to eternal life. Decide for God, and He will protect you and show you what you should do and which path to take. Medjugorje is a sign to all of you and a call to pray and live the days of grace that God is giving you. Therefore, pray. Live my messages, and then you will see the miracles of God's love in your everyday life. Already, the Rosary can do miracles in the world and in your lives. Little children, do not be afraid, because I am with you, even when you think there is no way out and that Satan is in control. I am bringing peace to you. I am your mother and the queen of peace. Prayer will obtain victory. If you pray, Satan cannot injure you, even a little because you are God's children and He is watching over you. Do not be afraid of Satan. That isn't worth the trouble, because with a humble prayer and an ardent love, one can disarm him. Let the rosary always be in your hands as a sign to Satan that you belong to me. Today I thank you for all the prayers. Keep on praying all the more, so that Satan will be far away from this place. Dear
Dear children, Satan's plan has failed. I especially thank the young people for the sacrifices they have offered up. I urge you to ask everyone to pray the rosary. With the rosary, you will overcome all the troubles which Satan is trying to inflict on the Catholic Church. Let all priests pray the rosary. Give time to the rosary. Withstand the days of temptation. I have given myself to you and I sympathize with you even in the smallest temptation. I am with you and I am grateful to you. But in heaven you shall receive the Father's reward which he has promised you. Therefore, little children, do not be afraid. God has chosen each one of you in order to use you in a great plan for the salvation of mankind. You are not able to comprehend how great your role is in God's design. The only attitude of the Christian toward the future is hope of salvation. With Jesus, every fear, suffering, and pain disappear because your heart accepts His will and everything that comes into your life. Jesus will give you the faith to accept everything and nothing will distance you from Him because He firmly holds you by the hand and does not permit for you to distance and lose yourself in difficult moments because He has become the Lord of your life. Little children, take the cross in your hands. May it be your encouragement for love to always win. In a special way, now when the cross and faith are rejected. You be a reflection and an example with your lives that faith and hope are still alive and a new world of peace is possible. Reconcile with God, little children, and you will see miracles around you. May the measure of your way of living be love. And do not forget, little children, that prayer and fasting work miracles in you and around you. May everything you do be for the glory of God, and then heaven will fill your heart with joy. Little children, believe that by simple prayer, miracles can be worked. That is why, little children, pray, pray, pray. Because prayer works miracles in the hearts of mankind and in the world. You just heard about 30 messages of the ladies for being on the right with the sheep and the shepherd. Now you will listen to our ladies' messages about Satan's call. Our lady reveals what he's doing, trying to take you away from the right way. 
as you do the first ones, listen to this deeply. A friend of Mejigoria states the following. For more than 40 years, Our Lady of Mejigoria has been speaking to her children. She is on the far right, and Satan is on the far left. Both are speaking in this time. Both are trying to guide souls to their way. It is more than a political race. It is a battle for souls. There will be those who are saved. There will be those who are damned. There is no middle ground. The time of grace is running out. Our Lady of Mejigoria sends us a message of warning. Dear children, Satan wants war and hatred in hearts and peoples. The future is at a crossroads. Mankind is at a crossroad. Because modern man does not want God. That is why mankind is heading to perdition. Division is strong, and evil is at work in man as never before. Satan is strong and wants to put disorder and unrest in your hearts and thoughts. Peace is disturbed, and Satan wants peacelessness. He is attacking and tempting in every way. His power of death, hatred, and fear has visited the earth. He is strong and wants to attract all the more souls to himself. He wants war and hatred. He wants to turn all of you against God and to return you to everything that is human and to destroy in the heart all feelings towards God and the things of God. He is attracting you to the dust and sin and is rolling you like the wind rolls the waves of the sea. Satan is reigning and wants to destroy your lives and the earth on which you walk. Now, as never before, Satan wants to suffocate man and his soul by his contagious wind of hatred and unrest. In many hearts, there is no God or prayer. Hatred and war are growing from day to day. Through modernism, Satan diverts you and leads you to his way. He wants to destroy today's families. 
This world puts itself in the place of God and is destroying everything that is beautiful and good in the souls of each of you. Do not allow the false brightness that is surrounding you and being offered to you to deceive you. Do not allow Satan to reign over you with the false peace and happiness. In this time, when due to the spirit of consumerism, choose life and not death of the soul. Because Satan is strong and with all his forces wants to bring the most people possible closer to himself and to sin. He is on the prowl to snatch more every moment. He wants to ruin everything in you. He is strong and waiting to test each one of you. He wants to sift you through everyday affairs. And in your life, he wants to snatch the first place. Dear children, Satan is lurking for each individual, especially in everyday affairs. My children, do not recklessly walk into perdition. My motherly heart suffers tremendously as I look at my children, who persistently put what is human before what is of God, at my children who think that they can walk without my son. They cannot. They are walking to eternal perdition. Dear children, I speak for your salvation. There is no future for the world without God. Without my son, there is no salvation. Human souls are at stake. This is the time to separate. No middle ground, no mingling with the godless. What you are to do is witness the early church and those Christians that were seen by the left and how they lived. Witnessing doesn't mean you mingle with these people. Your way of life, they see this. I was just out of town, and it's easy for me to talk to everybody, strangers. I always come up with one little thing, and I got on the elevator in the hotel, and a guy was there standing with his wife, and he had a box, 
of checkers. I said, I bet you $500 I could beat you at checkers. You know how? I always win. My secret is I cheat. They started laughing. And I said, I pray to Jesus. And I tapped him on his shoulder and left off. They were laughing. I would say, in the hotel, walking around, just down the streets, at least a dozen times, I'm walking beside them saying something. I bring a lady up, Jesus, God, and I keep on walking. 2,000 years ago, Christianity come to the world. There's four cycles. The first five centuries. And then the second 500 years. And the third is another 500 years. We're in the fourth 500 years. The last 500 years is now. It's at the end of it, the year 2000. Do you realize this cycle means something? There is a radical change for the whole world, for the church, Christianity, and Christendom. You're about to hear something that was 77 years ago. It will blow you away. Get your attenders up. You listen, and I tell you, you're going to have to listen to this at least four times to grasp the four cycles for the 500 years. It's 1947. What you hear, how could this be said? And I've said before, I know his secretary, and it's Felton Sheen. He's going to cover the four cycles, and you won't believe how this guy can say what he said. Because we have history. We know what's happened. But in 1947, he didn't know all these things happening right now. How radical it is, and he is A-plus prophetic. Stunning, amazing. Don't be distracted. Open your heart. In this conference, I'm going to tell you about the way the world is going and what we may expect and what we should do. First of all, we are at the end of Christendom. Now, not Christianity, not the Church. Remember what I am saying. We're at the end of Christendom. What is Christendom? Christendom is the economic, political, social life as inspired by Christian principles. That is finished. We've seen it die. Look at the symptoms. Breakup of the family, divorce, abortion, immorality general dishonesty. About 50 years ago, in one of the big Protestant churches of New York, 
a Mrs. Vanderbilt came into this church after her divorce, and all of the Protestant people turned their backs on her. That would not happen today. The greatest historian of our times, and he has written ten volumes on the study of history, has said that of twenty-two civilizations which have decayed from the beginning of the world up until the present time, nineteen decayed from within. Only three from without. Lincoln said, I have no fear that America will ever be destroyed from without, but I fear that it may be destroyed from within. There are two kinds of barbarians. The active barbarians from without and the passive barbarians from within. We are not as much in as much danger from the active barbarians as we are from the passive ones. Anyone who's been in this country and left it for five years and then comes back is shocked at what he sees. We live in it from day to day, and we do not see the decline. We take it for granted. We get used to things and almost accept them as the rule. I could go on to labor this point, but I think that you have sufficient experience realize that the air that we breathe, the press that we read, the television that we see, is in no instance inspired by Christian principles. As a matter of fact, there is on the part of many of us a tendency to go down to meet the world not to lift the world up. We are afraid of being unpopular, so we go with the mob. So this is my first point. We are at the end of Christendom, not of Christianity, not of the Church. Now let us speak of the Church. Within this body of culture, and I'm speaking of the Western world. The strongest part of the world, even from the natural point of view, is in Russia and China. There's hardly any morality in China. There are no conductors on London buses. You just drop your coin in. Can you imagine who would take a bus here if there was no one to collect fare? Who would ever pay, I mean? The natural virtues are a thousand times higher in a communist country than here. We're not speaking of supernatural virtues, but that could well be true on account of the sufferings of the Christians there. So as regards the Church, we are living in the fourth five-hundred-year period of Church history. And the Church is not a continuing thing. It dies and lives again. It proceeds on the principle of Christ himself, as priest and victim. We go along for a while, we die. Like the serpent, we shed our skin. Like nature itself, we shed our leaves. And there comes a defeat, seeming decay, we're put in the grave, and then 
we rise again. We have had four deaths in our Christian history. The first was the fall of Rome in the first 500-year period, although Rome actually fell at the beginning of the 5th century. Rome had become Christian. There had been martyrs for two centuries or more. And then suddenly, after Rome becomes Christian, lo and behold, the active barbarians from without come in and destroy Rome. And Rome fell as nothing has fallen since Satan fell from heaven. Poor St. Jerome was in the cave of Bethlehem doing the scriptures. He said the whole world is turned upside down. And St. Augustine, this great bishop of northern Africa, would go about preaching on the fall of Rome. And he talked about it so much that his people used to say, See, Katia de Rome, all be going to shut up about Rome. He spent 18 years writing the city of God. You can find that in English translation, and the St. Augustine's commentary on the fall of Rome, and blaming it on to Christians. But the church died then. And then what happened? Then it came new birth. Then it became missionary. Then Augustine went to England, Patrick to Ireland, and Cyril and Methodius to Eastern Europe. Then began the rebirth of the church. Then around the year 1000, we had another decay. There was the Muslim invasion. The Muslims swept within 120 miles of Paris, great battle of Poitiers, and then they came around, formed a crescent, came up at the gates of Vienna. And then we had the, the schism, schism in Constantinople, of Phocius and Michael Serialarius, which the church was split, seemed to be the end of everything. And then we came to life again. Then came the third period, when the church became rotten, when Nuns began defecting as they are today. Priests began defecting as they are today. The pontiffs were not good. Pope Leo X was away from Rome for two months on the hunting trip. Church was at an end. Then the reformers came, but the reformers almost always reformed the wrong thing. They began reforming the faith. There was nothing wrong with faith. It was the morals that needed to be reformed. It's not renewal. Really, a, a moral reformation that is needed today, too. So that was the third death. And then we came to life again. Now we're at the fourth period. And we're robbing. We're spoiled. No great zeal, no great learning, no great fire. We're just against things so often. So the church is being declared dead. It's a favorite pastime of the press to write articles, is Christianity dead? But anyone who knows history is not particularly disturbed. But the enemy in each of the 500-year periods has been separate and distinct. And here I'm speaking of uh, enemies generally within the Church. In the first 500 years, the rotting process came from false doctrines centering around the historical person of Christ. Who was it? How many intellects did he have? How many wills did he have? How many natures? How many persons? They were what were called the Christological heresies. So the, the church was just split open, and that was one of the reasons that made it possible for the, for the Muslims to develop, because we became so technical in our theology in those days that people were looking for simplicity. 
Just as in New England, we got, we got, uh, Unitarians out of Calvinistic extremes in this country, so too we got Muslimism out of all of the theological refinements and distinctions of the first five centuries. Those were the attacks. And for the next 100 years, the attack was really on the head of the church. On the head of the church, because the Eastern Church broke with the authority of the successor of Peter. And these were the errors we had to come. In the 16th century, it was not the head that was attacked, it was the body, the body of Christ, the mystical body of the church. What is the attack today? It is not schisms about the historical Christ. It is not an attack on the head. It is not an attack on the body of the church. Our enemy today is the world, the spirit of the world. Today we have to conform to the world or we're branded. Our Lord said, I have taken you out of the world. We say, no, we have to win the world. To win it, you have to be one with it. Our Lord said, I pray not for the world. He was praying for the spirit of the world. And this is the easiest, easiest kind of way to fall off the log. It's working. It's so simple. And if we justify it by a thousand reasons, namely the Vatican Council said we had to go into the world. Indeed, but not to be worldly, which is quite a different matter. So this is our attack today. There are three classes of people in the world. Wise men, knaves, and fools. Wise men mean to do good and they do it. Knaves mean to do evil and do it. The fools will do right or wrong, depending upon which is the more popular. And they are divided into white fools and black fools. The white fools would rather do what is right, but will do wrong if it's popular. And the black fools would rather do wrong, but they will do right if that's happened to be, that happens to be popular. Now this is the situation we're in today, and this is one of the basic causes of our degeneration of our death. We're dying. What about it? What's the answer? The answer is these are great and wonderful days in which to be alive. I thank God that I'm young. Don't laugh now. I thank God that I'm young in order that I can live in these days. Because these are days of testing. Twenty years ago, 30, 40 years ago, it was easy to be Christian. The atmosphere was Christian. Morals were Christian. There was no great problem in adapting ourselves to a Christian society. But now, when everything has turned around, these are days when the masks have got to come off. And we reveal ourselves just as we really are. Then we could float, float with the current. Today, the current's against us. And today the mood of the world is, go with the world, go with the spirit. Listen, dead bodies float downstream. Only live bodies resist the current. 
And so the good Lord is testing us. That's why these are great days. He tested the Russian, the Russian Christians with communism. He tested the German Christians with Nazism. And how many fell? And he's testing the Western Christians with worldliness. And how many of us are falling? Read the story of the Israelites in the desert. God said, I tested you for 40 years. That's what he's doing to us. We're showing what we really are now. St. John says it in the epistle. He said that they did not love us really from the beginning. That is why they left us. And so the souls that are falling away have just failed to meet the test. It's very much like the test that the Jews had. At one time they were within 12 miles of the Holy Land. It only took three weeks to come from Egypt. They were 40 years wandering in the desert. Why? Because of their disobedience. So the Lord sent them rugs and circles and going crazy in that desert. And then when finally they came to the very point where they were to enter, Moses sent spies in, crossed over the risen river Jordan, went into the to Jericho, twelve spies. They came back and they said to Moses, the people are as numerous as grasshoppers and the walls reach to the heavens. The Hebrew language has no superlative degree. So they, they talk like their children. Children would say, oh, it reached up to the stars. And it was the Hebrew way of saying, and the walls were very high. And for a multitude of men, well, they were like grasshoppers because they were common. So when the twelve came back, ten of them said, we cannot go in. They are too strong. The majority report, the majority is not always right. A bad majority can vote us out of the democracy. So we cannot go in, because they were the majority. They began to affect all of the Israelites. They said, no, we can't go in now. Two of them, the minority report, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua said, sure they're big, sure they're strong, sure they're numerous, but God said it's our land. And we can take it. And they were the only two that went in to the promised land. There was one whole generation of Jews that perished in that desert. And of the twelve, only these two, Caleb and Joshua, entered the promised land. The minority report. And that's what we're going to have in the church is a minority report. The minority report of sisters, the minority report of, of priests, the minority report of laity. Not the minority that's aggressive and troublemaking, but the minority that's like Cable and Caleb and Joshua, the trust in God. So we're tested, just as the Jews were tested. And God is doing with us, perhaps today, what he did with Gideon. Remember, Gideon had to go out to meet the army, the Midianites. They had an army of 65,000. And God said to Gideon, your army is too great. Gideon had 30,000 soldiers to meet an army of 65,000. And God said, your army is too great. God said to Gideon, tell your cowards to leave. How many cowards? 20,000. Gideon had 10,000 left. God said, your army is too great. 
send them to the river and watch them drink. Some of them threw themselves prone on their stomachs and drank leisurely and comfortably and sufficiently. And others ran along the riverbank and lapped up the water with their hands in the fashion of dogs and drank. And God said, that's your army, 300, but I'll be with you. And, of course, Gideon won. So these days, therefore, our ranks are being thinned. God does not expressly say to the church, send your cowards to leave. They just leave. God doesn't make some kind of a papal decision to say that, well, the majority opinion is wrong. Those that get the ear of the press, no, but he allows things to work out this particular way. And then we'll come, not in our time, but not far after our time, and perhaps in the time of some. Then will come the battles and the testing. Our Lord said, Satan would sift you as wheat, and we're being sifted as wheat. So we can all thank God that we live in these days. Really, it's beautiful. Now we can say, I or nay, and we can bear up under assault, criticism, and ridicule. Because this is the lot of the Christian in the days of the spirit of the world. The great poet T.S. Eliot wrote a poem about anti-hero. It's why should men love the church, in which he very subtly suggests Maybe hard times are coming for the creative minority, and why we should love the church in these days. It is hard for those who have never known persecution and who have never known a Christian to believe these tales of Christian persecution. And that is true. I have talked to audiences and told them about, for example, the sufferings of missionaries, and the sufferings of some Russian people that I know that suffered for their faith, and they would not believe. And Eliot goes on to say, it's hard for those who live near a bank to doubt the security of money. It is hard for those who live near a police station to believe in the triumph of violence. Do you think that faith has conquered the world, and that the lions no longer need keepers? You need to be told that whatever has been can still be. You need to be told that even such modest attainments that you boast of in the way of polite society will hardly survive the faith to which they owe their significance. Men, polish your teeth on rising and retiring. Women, polish your fingernails. You polish the tooth of the dog and the talon, talon, talon of a cat. In other words, there's going to be opposition. Why should men love the church? Why should they love her laws? She tells them of life and death and of all that they would forget. She is tender when they would be hard and hard where they would like to be soft. She tells them of evil and sin and other unpleasant facts. 
They constantly try to escape from the darkness outside and within by dreaming of systems so perfect that no one needs to be good. But the man that is will shadow the man that pretends to be. And the Son of Man is crucified always, and there shall be martyrs and saints. And if the blood of martyrs is to flow on the steps, we must first build the steps. And if the temple is to be cast down, we must first build the temple. It is not a gloomy picture, it is a picture of the Church in the midst of increasing opposition from the world. And therefore, live your lives in the full consciousness of this hour of testing, and rally close to the heart of Christ. So what we have to do, who are the minority, there will always be those, for example, who will not even want to hear lest they be called upon to change. And if there is anything that has to be restored in our day, I would say it would be violence. Violence. The kingdom of heaven is won by violence. And only the violent shall conquer it. What does Sheen mean by that? Violence. Violence, violence. The kingdom of heaven is won by violence, and only the violent shall conquer it. He's not talking about going about doing violence against people. He's talking about what Jesus did. What he did was violent. He went on the cross. He was crucified. That was violent to himself. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. I want to repeat what Sheen said. At the beginning of this talk, he said, about 50 years ago, in one of the big Protestant churches in New York, a Mrs. Vanderbilt came into the church after her divorce, and all the Protestants turned their back on her. That would happen today. There's things we need to do to stand up for. That is not going to be good for you. In fact... It's violence against you. Jesus could have been silent, but the, some of the things he did and he said came back on violence on him. And that's what she's talking about. We need violence. When I started Curitas, I read Canon Law. I knew I could do it. I went to the bishop, and he said, I don't want you to do it. Make it short what he said. You may cause people to go to hell. And I said, Bishop, I'm putting together the nonprofit Caritas. He didn't like it. And in his thoughts, I was a black sheep. As I left, the scriptures came to me. What Jesus says, shake the dust off your sandals. Another time, there was violence against myself, for a priest to say Mass for us before we went to Medjugorje. The second time, he did it again, but he got pressure. Don't do that. 
going back to the bishop, maybe. I don't know what happened. And the third time, I asked him, and he said no. And I read a letter, and I was very strong. Why don't you stand up? You can do this. But he wasn't willing to be violence to himself from those who say something. What is this Medjugorje or whatever it's about? My letter was very stern, and he was very angry. That violence came to me. I knew the letter was not going to be good for me. We're baptized as Catholic, and you have the tools, the Holy Mass, to give it to us. So he started talking bad about me. There's so many times I did things that was no good for me. Why? Because I stand up for the church and for Our Lady at the cost of my repetition. In another case, I'm at Mass, and the priest is giving his homily. And he says, anybody can do the sacraments except one, holy orders. I was shocked. While he's talking, I point my hand up in there right to him, where he could see me. And he says, oh, somebody disagrees with me. And he says, I'm telling you the truth. And I hollered back to him, twisted truth. And he stopped his homily. Nobody in the church said anything. I'm coming out of Mass. He wants to shake my hands. I won't shake it. I won't bind. And some of the parishioners didn't like what I said. And there's one guy stopped that knows me, because this is not my Sunday church I go to. And so he comes up to me, and he says to me, are you telling me that those cars out there, on the highway right there, is a wreck? And I have red, and that person is dying? That I can't make that to be a Eucharist and give it to him? His name was Ross. I said, Ross, you've been under this priest too long. And I walked off. Another time, they went to the diocese because there was a man in our area who assaulted a woman. He went to jail, he got out, and then he did it again, a second time. And then he did it a third time. They were making a huge thing, oh, he's mentally ill. It's very obvious if what he did, he knew what he was doing. So their attorneys make it, oh, please help this guy, because he's black, and the law has just been persecuting him. Our bishop calls for the whole diocese to raise money for their attorney. And the attorney was pushing that because he's getting the money. And our bishop set the date the next Sunday to pass the basket. I couldn't believe it. So I went to a store about Barbie down. And so I took it to Mass and they passed this collection basket, and people put money in it. They're crazy. Unbelievable. And I dropped the Barbie doll in the basket, and I had tied to it a note. This is for Tommy. 
that he can play with when he's in jail. I watched the basket go behind me, and everybody's looking at it like, well. At the end of the Mass, the priest was giving the announcements, and I walk up there at the podium, and I stood next to him, and I said, why don't people usually stand up? And I walked back off. And that went through a lot of people. People was glad I did it, and other people did violence to me. But I didn't care. I don't look at my reputation. I can go for hours that I've done things was not in my best interest. Many threats, many slanders. This mission of Caritas and community has been a war. But I guess a lady, when she saw this guy right here down on earth, I can use him for something because he would do it because they try to stop the messages in Medjugorje. I can't tell you all the details, but the messages have continued from me standing up something. One day all these will be in book after I die. Recently, Maria told me, in a way, I can't tell you exactly, but that Medjugorje has been strengthened and continued because of what you're doing. She is saying, the only way we're going to win is by violence. So we can go back to him, listen to what he says. It's an amazing thing. We can only win by violent. That's why this mission of Caritas and the community and what we do in Medjugorje is the largest Medjugorje in the world. And it hasn't been easy. But I'm not going to stop. So we're going to go back to Sheen and you take these lessons from what he's saying. You have to be violent. And don't pity yourself. And if there is anything that has to be restored in our day, I would say it would be violence. Violence. The kingdom of heaven is won by violence. And only the violent shall conquer it. Just as we begin to drop something in the church, the world begins to pick it up. As we drop celibacy, some of the Protestant religions are today asking for celibate men to go on the missions. As we drop our beads, hippies put them up and hang them around their necks. As the nun drops the long habits, the girls put on maxicos. As we drop mysticism, the young people go in for pharmaceuticals and drugs. Everything that we're dropping, they are picking up, and we drop violence. Discipline, commitment to the cross, and the world picks it up. And that's why it's unsafe in the streets. That's why there's no stopping the violence of this country. We just have to buy more locks, hire more police guards, build more hospitals for the addicts. Why? Because there's no moral reason on the inside why they should stop. Dostoevsky said there were two ages to man. The ascent of man to the death of God, and from the death of God to the annihilation of man. 
God has denied everything that's allowable. So when we drop discipline, mortification in our own lives, the world begins to pick it up. And this is the price we're paying for dropping it. Our blessed Lord said, I have come to bring the sword. Not peace. We're always talking about peace, peace, peace. Yes, because of that war, but we're not making war on ourselves. And there's not going to be any peace in the world until we make war. Our Lord said, I came not to bring peace, but the sword. He never used the word peace until after Easter. That's one of the reasons I always find it hard to join in, in a prayer for peace. It's just simply a, a kind of a prayer which we forget. That's all we have to do is say, dear Lord, listen to us. We don't want to be troubled. we got the boys being killed. But we'll just go on the way we are. That's not peace. Lord brought a sword. Not a sword to thrust outward against the enemy. The sword to thrust against ourselves. Cutting out the seven pallbearers of the soul. Pride and covetousness, lust and anger, envy, gluttony and sloth. When we've given up the sword, someone else has taken it up. And we have to restore it. Then we'll get peace. And peace is never corporate, it's never social, until it's first individual. Social peace, world peace, is the extension of individual peace in our hearts. When we're right with God, then we'll be right with our fellow man. When we're not right with God, then we'll be wrong with everyone else. That's the reason the explanation of St. James gives of wars. And that is why this holy hour, this reason, this retreat has been based around the holy hour. A little violence to ourselves. And I hope that all of you will take it seriously. Every single day. One continuous hour before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. Not only for our own soul, but for the world. And to strengthen our minority. As others are leaving, we'll be stronger. The Lord is keeping reserves. He's training us. We'll make the entry. We'll prepare for a new church. And he's with us. We just simply cannot lose only... We've already won, as a matter of fact, only the news has not yet leaked out. And so it's violence that has to be restored. And the great enemy that we hear is the enemy that said to our Lord on the cross, come down and we'll believe. We'll believe. We'll believe anything you say if you don't mention the cross. Will they believe what our Lord said about the Trinity? Yes. About the Eucharist? Yes. About naming Peter? Yes. We we'll believe anything they said, anything, but just come down from that cross. That's all we ask. That's what we hear today. On retreat, tell us about liturgy. Tell us about the social order. Tell us about injustices. Talk politics. Anything. We we'll believe anything you say, only don't talk the cross. Stop it. Come down, we we'll believe. But he did not come down. Why? Because it's human to come down. Because if he came down, he never would have saved us. It's divine to hang there. This is why this mission is what it's doing. I've termed it years ago, construction through destruction. Construction through destruction. Construction 
through destruction. Get that in your head. I've had to tear things down to make construction. This is my motto. You have to annihilate yourself. That's what Sheen is showing. Sheen says, 1947, Satan's last attack, the fourth and last great crisis in the church before end times. Satan, in this period, is going to be crushed. And there's going to be two groups, the left and the right. You cannot sit on the fence anymore. A little bit over here left, a little bit right. You got to go where the violence is that brings out holiness to our church. I end this with you. A question. Why is this the last apparitions in the world? The class of the apparitions of Lady of Fatima and Medjugorje, this is finished. They're not happen again. Our Lady said that. Being Our Lady's last apparition, it's Satan's last attack. All what you heard puts the fourth and last great crisis in the church before the end times. The crushing of the snake finishes Our Lady, the woman of Revelation, to end this cycle of Christendom. You are alive at end times. We may go 600 more years. We don't know. But it's going to be peace. She's the queen peace. So the rest we have for the world, the serpent is crushed. The queen of peace will give us peace. She is going to win. And Jesus will be the next big thing that happens. You are alive in an incredible moment of history, physical and spiritually. This broadcast has to be listened not just two times, but at least three, four times. Support this mission. We are expanding. We need your help. We need your prayers and your donations. We wish you a lady. We love you. Good night. <laughs>